Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The end of season party. Hello and welcome to episode 49, which is the final episode of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football, and this week once again got a full house. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good, thanks, Dan. Uh, we finally got there. You know, it didn't feel like this season was ever going to end. Um, you know, it's been a really interesting one. Um, at one point, we didn't think we'd get to the actual end, but we have now. Um, it kind of went reasonably well, didn't it, after after the break. Um, so looking forward to chatting everything that everything that's gone on and, and the fallout from those last matches. Yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean. This season has gone on forever, literally. I think we're at, well, we are at episode forty nine. There was a four week break when I was unwell, so that's more than a year's worth of episodes. We've started so long ago this season. We're nearly at the next one already. But before we do, we have to also introduce your teammate for today, Matthew. So Matthew, of course, a sterling performance these last two weeks. Also, your sly old dog, a sterling performance on BBC London News. Tell us about that one. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it's odd that Carl says, you know, the, the season's finally over. I think you'll find that some of us, the season is very much still going on, true, true. Uh, which is why which is why I was on BBC London. I had to just quickly preview Fulham's. Um, well, I was there for the last game for the last game of the season before Wigan, but now it, it's going on even longer because we've got to deal with Cardiff in the playoffs, and then uh, who knows, depending on the second leg, what's going to what happens what happens beyond that but i know we're going to touch on the championship later so i just realized i've rambled on here hello to both of you i didn't i didn't introduce myself hello that's absolutely fine mate hold those thoughts because like i say we'll get to that at the very end of the show but before we do that let's do the social media bits first i will be talking into the abyss once more so first if you want to get in touch with me you can that's on twitter at dan tracy 1983 
Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Audio Boom. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, for the final time this season, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to the bottom of the table and the fallout from the relegation battle. So, Carl, a few weeks ago, we were saying Aston Villa were done and dusted. Credit must go to them for a rather great escape that's now been completed. Yeah, yeah, full credit to them. You know, like as you say, Dan, you know, a few weeks ago, I, to be honest, couldn't see the bottom three changing drastically, felt, felt they'd go. Um, and then they, they kind of got themselves a nice little run, didn't they, together. Um, some good results there at the death that have finally seen them stay up. Um, and, and you'd have to say, you know, all you can do is take your hats off and say, well, never saw that one coming. But you get what you deserve. You know, they've played some good football. They've ground out some good results. And in the end, it, it's gone for them. Results have gone for them as well. And, and they've managed to keep their head head above the line uh, and get another year in the Premier League. And you kind of think, you know, once you can get that first season out of the way, it's then all about kind of making sure you do what you need to do to then suddenly start thinking about having a long-term future in the league. Um, so, yeah, they'll be very grateful. But, you know, they've earned it. The table doesn't lie. Obviously, I'm sure at some point we might talk about, you know, incidents that happen with VAR-related and, you know, Hawkeye. But they've done the job. And I can imagine there were some sore heads on Monday morning um, in Birmingham. So, Matthew, with Villa staying up, can they keep hold of Jack Grealish for at least another season? Where does that big money move that could prize me away come from? When you look at the big clubs, do they actually need him right now? Um, no, I honestly can't think of many you know big clubs that are going to want him. You know, Manchester United have you know he's been linked there a couple of times. I can't see him moving the likes of Rashford, Martial. Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, I can't see him moving them out of the starting lineup, so there's no space for him there. Arsenal, no, not really. I think I think they've got their ideas set with Arteta. Man City, no. Liverpool, no. Spurs, I know, is a name that gets banded around, but you know, you know as well as I do that Dan Levy is not going to spend money, so that's not going to happen. So yeah, there's not really any of the big clubs that are going to want him, and the fact that he's you know done his job in keeping Aston Villa in the league, so you know he's worth that big money keeping him in the league. That's really that's really all he's all he's there for, and the fact that he's a Villa fan, it's going to be hard to, for for really anyone to try and tempt him away from you know wanting to then take take the next step you know with Villa. So no, I can't see him going anywhere. Sadly. Well, I say sadly, I, I really don't care about Jack Grealish's <laughs> to be brutally honest. But you get, well, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you mean, mate. It's not sad at all. But, Carl, with Villa staying up, they spent an awful lot of money. You know, I think it was like £140 million, give or take, across two windows. That has meant their sporting director has got the push today. There's meant to be some sort of internal strife, but... They can't afford to do that again this time. They're going to have to be smarter with their outlay, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. You know, you know when... If you, when you come into the Premier League, it's all about doing smart business, isn't it? You know, I think Matthew might tell you more than anyone um, when the season when Fulham come up and they kind of went out and spent a lot of money. Um, if you don't get the play, if you don't get the right players when you spend that money and they don't come in and have the sort of impact you're desiring, then obviously, as you say, those people making those decisions to bring those players in normally find that they're they're under the chopping block um, and a lot of criticisms come in their way. 
Um, you could say it's worked for them. They've stayed up. But I do believe if you look at their squad, you know, that they didn't buy well enough. Um, they'll need to definitely, as you say, change that this season because, you know, second season syndrome can really kick in. And before you know it, if, if you don't do good business, you're well off the pace um, after, say, 10 or so games and just staring down the barrel. So I think it's really key what they do. They certainly need to bring in a real goal scorer. I think that's the one key that when you come up to the, the Premiership, you really need to have a you know a consistent goal scorer who who can get you the vital goals that win you those games. You know, nick those odd two ones or one nil, um, and before you know it, you're suddenly finding yourself mid-table comfortable. So they will need to do some work. I'm sure they'll probably look to try and offload a few, um, get a few in. I, I actually don't believe they'll keep. Jack Grealish, I, I, you know, I think he might sit there and say he's done his job uh, and managed to, you know, give them survival by how he's done. But I just think this is one of those times where if you're if you're Jack Grealish, you're probably being told, listen, you're hot, you're 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 bang hot right now, and your time to make money and get a big move is now. Um, I don't think you can afford to sit at Villa for another season because if he doesn't have another good season um, and plays in a poor Villa side, then, you know, he, his stock kind of goes down. So I just think the people that will be in Greedish's ear will be saying to him, I'm sorry, if you want to go, now's the time because you'll get big money. There'll be big clubs coming in for you. And, you know, you can't afford to take a risk that an injury could happen or something like that that could scupper one of those moves in the future. Yeah, I exactly see where you're coming from, Carl, about stock. You know, we talk about Eddie Howe and his stock and timing and getting it all wrong. But I'm just still in the mindset, I don't know where Grealish goes. I think United are too good now that, dare I say, they don't even need him. Had they not finished in the top four, they might have had more of a rebuild project to do in the summer or the off-season, shall we say. What, what would you say, Dan, about Spurs potentially offloading, say, Ndombele or something like that and then using that money oh, yeah. to go for someone like Grealish as a, you know, if you like, a kind of straight replacement? Um, to get him out because obviously we see names like Coutinho branded around but then you think the, the wages and that are going to be your big off putter there for a club like us whereas with Jack Grealish you could think well you offload someone like Undenbele use that money to invest in someone like Jack Grealish who you, then you think well yeah okay wages might not be a massive issue the fee yes you know but in theory you might just be spending the same money that you recoup on that outlay uh, yeah, good point. I think if we we're going to do that, I think it might have to be more Deli Ali going out because then you'd have Ali Grealish herself, so arguably fighting over one shirt, and then you'd be really stuck in that rank. So I think if you were going to sort of switch that way, I think Ali out Grealish in would be the more logical move. So I think if there was a top six contender, dare I say it's Tottenham at the front of the queue. I mean, even sort of Leicester, do they sort of try and throw some money at him now? They need to rebuild, which we'll get to later on. Um, it's an interesting one. We we'll also keep an eye over it over the summer, but we also need to keep an eye, Matthew, on. Watford, because the decision to sack Nigel Pearson has backfired in the biggest possible way. So the Hornets board released a statement yesterday, what, 24 hours after the relegation, sort of a swallowing of humble pie, going, yeah, we got it wrong, but that really is a sense of the horses already bolted. Yeah, I, I mean, we discussed this on last week's show, the fact that you know, their, their, their method of going through multiple managers and wanting the you know the new manager bounce, as it were, every single time, eventually it was going to catch up with them and it came... And it caught up with them at, you know, arguably the worst possible time. And, you know, you want to maybe think that, you know, they'll reflect on this and they won't go down the, down this road in the future. 
But what good is that going to do really in the championship? Surely this should have been something that when they were struggling or not doing quite so well in the Premier League that they think, mm, nah, this isn't quite working for us. But, yeah, you know, what, can, what can you say? I, I think, again, as we said last week, are we really surprised with anything that's going on with Watford as it stands? You know, they gave it a, they, the players gave it a good enough go. But when you're dealing with you know, the chaos and the madness that is the Watford board up above you, there's only so much that the players can really do. Absolutely. So, Carl, now that Watford are a championship club, does that job become less desirable? Because it's a poison chalice, there's no doubt about that. But with them being a Premier League entity, there's always somebody ready to walk in, take the reins and have their stint, no matter how long it is. With them being a championship club, has that luster, that risk, is it really worth a hassle now? I think, like as you say, I think there's always managers who are looking to kind of get back into the game, aren't they? Or looking for like, the next challenge. And I think the one good thing Watford possibly have going for them is that they kind of are a household name, aren't they, in, in terms of, you know, English football. Um, so I still think there's, you know, a lot of appeal there. And someone will think that they can go there and possibly get them back up on the first attempt, you know, dependent on obviously who they can keep. Um, you know, I don't see there being a massive fire sale there and you know many players demanding that they want to go um so i think you know they can look to possibly keep the majority of that squad um and then obviously just add to it so i think it's still an appealing job and i think there will be plenty of people who would go yeah you know if watford come to me i'd be more than happy to kind of have a go you know not great ground some decent facilities you know obviously you've got the parachute payment so there is some money there I guess the one thing that you probably think might put people off and, you know, maybe if I was a manager, it would be the one thing that I would be really dubious about is the way that the board work and potentially how long you you could be there, um, what sort of backing you're going to get. And obviously you've seen how ruthless they are. So you kind of know, well, I'm not going in with people who will be my best friend if things turn a little bit sour or we go through a bad spell. They're not going to show much patience. So maybe that's the only thing I think that could put someone off. Cole, does that mean you're not throwing your hat into the Vicarage Road ring? Oh, I'll happily do it, mate. Trust me. I'll happily do it um, for a lot less money than probably someone like, say, Mark Hughes or some of those managers who go round the roundabouts. Um, and also, what's what's the worst that can happen? I foul, I get a big payoff then. So I'll definitely put my hat in the ring. I, you know, I will send my football manager CV over to Vicarage Road today. They can have a look. Pretty impressive, I have to say. Um, so, yeah, I'm in. Count me in. There you go. You heard it here first, an exclusive... So, Matthew, we're focusing on Watford, but we shouldn't really forget that Bournemouth actually posed the biggest threat on the final day to Aston Villa. They got the better of Everton, but really, that performance was just too little too late, wasn't it? Yeah, took the words out of my mouth, too little too late. And you say too little too late, Bournemouth haven't exactly been too bad over the past couple of over the past couple of, Again, similar to Watford, they gave it a good go. You know, go back to the result a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember who it was. It may have been West Ham where they had the goal that was margin offside, taken away from Bournemouth, and then they went up the other end and scored. I can't remember who it was. Southampton. Southampton. Thank you. I knew, I knew it was someone. Um, yeah, so they have been close. They have been, you know, trying. They have been trying to get there. But, again, but yeah, they just you know, kicked into gear just a little bit just a little bit too late, unfortunately. And there will, there are other circumstances surrounding it, which I know we're going to get into later, so I'll leave until then. But, yeah, I think 
just as an as an overall thing, I think it is a case of Eddie Howe just ran out of time. You know, I made the comparison last week. You know, Wigan, there's only so many years you can just keep sliding down slowly, slowly until it catches up with you. And for, unfortunately for Bournemouth, it just happened to be this season. Of course, they beat Everton on the last day. And I want to discuss them because we seem to, I wouldn't say forget them, but their performances as of late haven't really sort of caught any story either way. They've been bang on mid-table. But because of that indifference... I'm going to read out a literary a litany of names now, and it's quite a long list, so please bear with me. Ashley Williams, Yannick Balassi, Morgan Schneidlin, Davy Klassen, Sandro Ramirez, Wayne Rooney, Gilfie Sigurdsson, Nikola Vlasic, Cenk Tosson, Phil Walcott, Fabian Delph, Alex Awobi, Moyes Keane. That bundle of players has all been signed since Farhad Bashiri joins the club as a majority shareholder. £250 million spent at least in terms of that recruitment. So, Carl, why has their recruitment been so bad? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? I mean, some of the names you put in there, you know, when you look at players like Rooney and Sigurdsson, you know, you would sit there and say, to be honest with you, that they're players that I think, you know, some of those transfers have worked. You know, I think Rooney probably went in and had a good influence. Um, Sigurdsson was a player that I think lots of sides were looking at when Everton got him. Um I guess it is just one of them, isn't it? You know, I, I kind of sit there and think with Everton, you know, I can go back to to sort of Spurs in some ways where, you know, when it comes to transfers, they, they never really go out and get players that you kind of go, wow, this is the real deal right now. You know, they were either, you know, Everton seemed to either take a punt on an older player coming to the end of his career and hope that, you know, he can come and give them, say, a couple of season, you know, decent seasons, or they're bringing in players with potential from abroad and you know sometimes you just think you might be better off going for players who know the league you know they've performed in the league before um, and they'll do you a job which some of those names you sit there and go well you know that that's what they have done um it's just hard to work out why sometimes you know some of those players didn't work out you know i think like sigerson has really gone off the boil um this season um, you know, Walcott, again, you know, he was always hit and miss at Arsenal, wasn't he, even in a great side. So Everton probably just thinking, well, hopefully we're the side that can get the real best out of him. And again, it, it didn't really come off that way. Um, I just think, it, again, it just comes down to actually, rather than spending that sort of money that they have on, you know, 15 or 20 players, if they'd maybe gone and just brought, you know, six, say five or six real really good players at the time and invested that sort of money in those players, we probably might have seen them do better than they have over the recent times. I'm surprised at them this season because I really felt they started to look good under Ancelotti. You know, when he first came in, he seemed to have a really positive effect and they were looking aside where I thought, you know, you'd be really encouraged if you as an Everton fan and thought if we can just get some summer transfer business done properly, we, we could have a really good side. But they've really dropped off a cliff and also doesn't help when you've got a goalkeeper that kind of throws them in every week either. Well, these are going to be my next two points, so we'll discuss them now. Because, Matthew, on the evidence of Everton since Christmas, as Carl said, a good start and you're sort of thinking, yeah, Ancelotti things are going to get going next season. You know, similar to Leicester, betting in process, and they're off. But every time they lost since that sort of Christmas introduction of Antilotti, it's always been, oh, it's fine, they're a work in progress. That excuse won't wash next season. So have they got the right man in the job, but is the job now too big for him? Um, I don't think the job's too big for him. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti has managed some, you know, some of the great sides. 
AC Milan and Chelsea are the only ones that are coming to mind. Real Madrid and Bayern Munich. I think Bayern Munich. He, he's yeah. managed a lot of big clubs. So yeah. let's let's not say that, you know, trying to rebuild Everton from a mid-table side to a you know, upper mid-table challenging for Europe side is, is beyond him. I'm sure he has the capabilities to do that. I do think that, you know, you, you say the thing about embedding period, and this is going to be his first summer transfer window, summer slash autumn, given how it's going to go until October. So he is going to have the chance to, you know, hopefully spend, hopefully spend some money because you'd assume, you know, that um, the, the Everton owner is going to back him the same way he has the previous managers. Um, and if he and if he does that, then I'd trust Ancelotti to make the you know, make the astute signings, as it were, to maybe take to maybe take Everton forward. So no, I don't think it's I don't think it's too big a job for him. But I would say I. I don't think that Ancelotti was the right appointment for Everton in the first place. Because I know it was around that time in December was, it was basically the two big names out there were Ancelotti and Mikel Arteta. And, you know, Ancelotti went to Everton and Arteta went to Arsenal. I think ideally those roles should have been swapped because I think Ancelotti would have been better at Arsenal in trying to, you know, invigorate and try to get stuff done now, as it were, try to get into the Champions League and progress in the Europa League. Whereas Mikel Arteta, for a club like Everton, not just because it was his first job in management, so you get that little bit of progress, as it were, from assistant to Man City to full-time at Everton. Then he goes on to Arsenal. I, I just think that would have been a more a more appropriate say for them to look towards the future rather than Ancelotti, who I can't see being there for you know five, six years. But in the two or three years, maybe, I could see him doing a very good job and taking the team forward. It'll be interesting to see how much forward they can go. And Carl, if they are to go forwards, do they need a new goalkeeper? You just touched on Jordan Pickford. For me, I think he's becoming too much of a liability now. Yes, he's still got that World Cup glean, but even that is starting to lose its shine really quickly. So do they have to look at a new goalkeeper? Yeah, this is a real interest. Like I say, for me, he's just kind of mirroring Joe Hart, to be honest, in the way his career seems to be going at the moment. You know, burst on the scene and kind of, you know, getting a really good reputation for himself and looked a good goalkeeper. Obviously, then you say you have the World Cup and the penalty save and you're thinking, wow, yeah, you know, this guy could be a great keeper. But I just, like I say, for me, from what you hear, I just think he's one of those keepers who trying to just be too erratic and too clever sometimes and, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, loves himself a little bit too much, maybe, maybe too confident in his abilities. And actually he just doesn't concentrate the way that he should do during games. And, you know, that is leading to what you're seeing now, which is, you know, shots that go through your hands or you don't really get behind it properly. You know, you're suddenly thinking, you think when you go to pick a ball up and you're too busy thinking about who you're throwing it to or who you're distributing it to and then actually you forget to hold the ball and next thing it's through your legs and you've cost your team a goal. I do think he's got to be really careful and I do think if I, you know, if you were someone, I don't know, family or advisors, I would have to be say to him, listen, you're in real danger with your performances right now to becoming, as you said then, considered a liability and actually losing all the hard work you've done to get up to here and the way you're thought of as a keeper. And you might need to really start working harder on concentration and stuff like that because I could see someone like Ancelotti thinking, if this guy is going to throw some in every game, um, then I might need to make a change and bring in a more solid number one uh, because that is where it all starts, you know, a good solid spine. And, and that, a lot of the time, begins with a good, solid goalkeeper. So I do think he is at risk of, you know, really starting to slip down the pecking order. As we said, if there was a Euros right now, after this season's finished, he wouldn't be my number one. 
Um, you know, so he's already possibly lost that place. So he does need to be really careful. Matthew, is there a sense that he's had too much too soon? Obviously, burst onto the scene at Sunderland was one of their only shining lights in their relegation season. Big money move to Everton, England number one, all of that. So does he perhaps need a bit of mentoring? Does he need a spell on the bench somewhere? Because he's only really been playing first team football. His rise has been quite, you know, quite high, quite fast. Is there a bit of grounding that's needed? You say big, you know, bit much too, bit much too quickly. It's been three years, hasn't it? Because he was relegated. Because Sunderland were relegated in two thousand sixteen seventeen, so he'd have, been, he'd have been the starting goalkeeper in two thousand sixteen. We're going on to four years now. I don't think that's. I don't think he's necessarily been rushed onto the scene. It's not like. Uh, let's see if we can find an example. I can't really find. I can't really find. Okay, like Wayne Rooney, for instance, was arguably rushed onto the scene because he was an an England international within about two months of making his Premier League debut for Everton. There's an incidence of someone being rushed. Jordan Pickford. No, I think that it's a really a reasonable progression in terms of his career. I just think that maybe he's just being found out for not being quite what. It's not really his fault. I mean, the England goalkeeper position wasn't exactly the greatest a couple of years ago because Joe Hart was on the decline and who else? There was there really was no other option. So it's a it's a bit it's a bit of a tough one. But I don't think I don't think he's been rushed. I think maybe no, I don't I don't think he has been rushed. Sorry to say that in a, in a less than in a less than straightforward manner. But no, right. I think he, I think he's been fine. <laughs> okay, that's absolutely fine. So let's go back to Bournemouth then because this is the hot topic of today, Tuesday. And it seems they might not take their relegation lying down. Cole, I said a few weeks ago that the Premier League, the last thing they would have wanted is that Hawkeye error to have any bearing on the relegation battle. Unfortunately, their worst fears have come true. Yeah, this is really interesting, isn't it? As to, you know, the fact that this has come out today, that they're looking at the possibility of kind of kicking off a bit of a complaint. Um, you know, you, you see lots of people saying, yeah, but all teams would have had VAR decisions over the course of a season. I, I guess the difference here, you could say, is VAR decisions are still in a way, at the end of the day, someone's opinion of an incident, aren't they? So, you know, what I might think might be a foul, then you might say no, you know, Matthew might say, well, you know, 50-50. So I think when you're looking at VAR decisions, we can all sit there and go, mm, yeah, I don't, you know, it's still in a matter of opinion. I think the thing with Hawkeye really should be, that is a technical error that really shouldn't have happened, you know, um, and, and that goal should have been given um, for Sheffield United, which then changes the whole outlay of the way that relegation finish has happened. Um, so I guess there is the one thing where they're sitting there saying, listen, this isn't a VAR mistake. This isn't an individual mistake. This is a real technical error. And this wasn't working during this game properly. And it's come back to cost us. So you really do think, you know, I, I'm not sure they'll get anywhere with it. But you do sort of think there is a good claim that you could say, yes, you know, that one incident like as we said, Dan, you know, the one thing you didn't want there to be is an incident where a team go down and they then suddenly have technology they can blame for it and throw it at the league. And it, it has happened. So I'm really interested to see how this plays out and, and what's going to happen. I would imagine there must be, you know, some real... You would think the Premier League or that would have some solid terms and conditions with all this stuff and, and ways that they can wriggle out of it. But it, it just won't go down well. And, you know, lots of people will look at that and say, well, yeah, there is an incident. And that is what has sent that team down. Yeah, in the sense of, like I said, VAR, it's too subjective. And people have printed all these 
if VAR league tables and without VAR league tables. But again, you know, my choice could be different to Matthews, could be different to Coles, and we're just back to where we started, really. But when something's absolute as goal line technology, when the goal hasn't been activated, you think, hang on, I'm a bit, bit stuck here. There's a bit of a problem, a big issue, shall we say. So, Matthew, with that in mind, legal proceedings haven't started yet, which begs the question, will they? And if they do, how much of a rightful claim have Bournemouth got? Um, it's an interesting one. I just happened to be looking up because I was uh, doing this bit of research for Sheffield United and their case because in the weeks after the whole incident, I was thinking, how is this going to affect Sheffield United and their chance of getting uh, into European football? Because I assumed that Aston Villa were going to go down, so it wouldn't affect anything. It wasn't until the last day of the season that I realised, oh, that one point that Aston Villa got basically kept them up. But there is an article, and I implore everyone who's listened to this to go and read it. Just Google Football Law Sheffield United, and there's a brilliant article that they put up there. Sheffield United FC hawkeying up a claim. And it basically goes through the legal ramifications that Sheffield United had, but you can apply it to Bournemouth as well. And I think what Carl was saying there was absolutely spot on. With VAR, it's, it, is a, it is a subjective thing. What someone may think is a handball or or was a penalty, or was a dive, those sort of things even up over the season. But it's the fact that the goal, the Hawkeye, that was brought into, you know, to rule on facts. And we saw it was a fact that the ball crossed the line. And, and it was uncovered like at, at time of the game, the Hawkeye, the thing, it went off. It was just like, whatever. So you have to say, you know, fans may say, you know, it evens up over the season. Yeah, it was even up over the season because everything was on the level except for one incident, and that one incident has gone and cost a Premier League team, you know, £100 million, million pounds for, you know, next season and what it is in the Premier League and sponsors, and, you know, upwards of maybe £150 million in, in the case of that. So I think that is a legitimate claim for Bournemouth. I, I said, it is all laid out in the article that I, that I um, said, uh, whether or not they wish to, whether or not they wish to pursue it, all credit to them. I think it's worth a, it's worth a shot, given what's at stake for them. Whether or not there's actually any legal uh, case or legal precedent or legal legal foot for them to stand on, that's a whole different matter. But I will say, given that we've got, I think it's six weeks, because of the 12th of September, the Premier League's meant to come back, they do need to be awful quick, because I'm pretty sure the authorities don't want to have to just all of a sudden switch a league over, for instance, if they decide... Now we've got to keep Bournemouth up or whatever. I will say it's got to be done very quickly for that matter. With that time frame, Carl, would compensation be more likely than anything being overturned? I think so, yeah. You know, I mean, as I say, who knows what kind of terms or conditions there are in, in the use of this um, this equipment and technology. You know, for all we know, there may be get-outs um, in there put in place that, that stop any claim like this. If not, then yeah, I don't see them actually probably going. Well, okay, we'll re you know we'll reinsert you into the Premier League, but you could definitely see a case where they have a claim and some compensation is paid out. Um, but then, how much compensation? You know, because who can value how much staying in the Premier League could be worth? Because if you look now at a club like Bournemouth, if they're suddenly told they're they're you know it stands and they are relegated. Again, if they're a club that lose players, they're going to probably lose their manager. You know, he might decide time has come. They need a fresh start. Who knows how far and how long it could take Bournemouth. They might never recover from this. So so how much value do you put on 
the claim of, of, of losing your Premier League status. That, that's a real interesting one that I, I wouldn't like to put a figure on that. Well, you couldn't really, could you? It'd be eye-watering. Before you've even taken into account the loss of rights, sponsorship, like you say, ma- uh, managers departing, players also going. I know there'll be funds coming back, but that would set you backwards in terms of your team's progression. So, I mean, pick a figure, add a zero, and I don't think we're even close to that either. But Matthew, is it how for now? Is he gone, do you reckon? Oh, it's a it's a tough one to be honest because you'd want to think that Bournemouth are you know a morally upstanding club. The much in the way that Burnley when they went down they kept Sean Dyche in charge because they think you know he's got us this far. Yeah, this season wasn't all that great, and we trust him to keep him to keep us up again. And I think Eddie Howe just fits Bournemouth because he he went to Burnley and it didn't quite work out, so he came back to Bournemouth, and that seems to be the only place that he's managed to work out so far. So. I think, but I think Bournemouth are going to keep Eddie Howe, and again, it may be a case of you know see where we are in November, December, and if things are working up, if we're in the top six of the Championship, then we'll keep hold of you. But if we're doing a Sunderland or doing a Huddersfield, and it just turns out that you know you've lost that managerial spark, then then I then I then I can see him leaving, or be or being sacked as it were. So I I don't think they're going to make any decisions over the summer. But it will be maybe a long-term thing before they decide whether or not they want to get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, he's got so much credit in the bank, but so did Pochettino. So it's a case of what you've done for me lately. And I think the fact he has been relegated doesn't put him quite in the firing line as other clubs. But as you say, Matthew, I think the key really is going to be bouncing back or at least looking like you're bouncing back as soon as you can. If you go, go sort of Huddersfield to Jetri and you're sort of scrabbling down at the bottom of the championship, then you have to part company. I think personally he'll go with his own violation. Now, whether that's this... Summer, I'm not too sure. But again, if it's not working out, start the season, we get to November, December and they're struggling, I think he might just say, do you know what? I've hit the wall. Carl, what's your take? I, I think you'll go in the summer then, to really? be honest. I, I honestly do. I, I think you might come to this situation now where he says, listen, you know, we've had a great relationship, a long-term relationship, but this blow, you know, I just wonder, he might, you know, I think it'll be that the club will basically come to a mutual where they probably both feel they need a new challenge, a change of direction, and, and they'll part companies. I really do. And and that's why, like I say, I, I kind of worry for Bournemouth slightly because I think they're a side with players that I think, you know, Premier League sides will be eyeing up and saying, yes, you know, there's their players we'd like to take off them because they've got some potential or in the likes of King and Wilson, you know, you could have clubs saying that could be a good backup striker for us. So I think they'll actually lose some key players. You know, Aki will be gone. Um, I worry for Bournemouth. I do I do think there is a chance that they could be one of those clubs that hit a bit of a slide um, and suddenly find themselves down the deeper end of the championship rather on the top end looking for a straight, quick return. Matthew, is it true they've also shelved stadium plans? I don't know if it was a move or making the vitality bigger, but I think a mixture of relegation and COVID has stopped that plan. So that's, again, another sort of revenue stream they were hoping for in the next couple of years starting to dwindle or actually not really being a thing at all. Yeah, that'd be a shame because I feel, you know, after Bournemouth, you know, what was this their fifth, sixth season in the Premier League? Fifth, fifth. You're fifth, exactly. You feel that now now would have been the time to sort of, now let's start, let's start moving forward um, in terms of, you know, trying to make ourselves a bigger club. Obviously, that doesn't have work out, but... That, that being said, I mean, Fulham had the plans to build 
the Riverside stand, you know, when we were when we were in the Premier League, and they've gone on, even though we are, even though even though we're in the Championship. So I don't think it's necessarily should hold them back. Maybe if it's a if it's a funding issue, but you think after five years of collecting a minimum of a hundred million pounds a year in the in the Premier League, a club like Bournemouth, because they don't exactly sign. Their, their wage bill isn't exactly the highest because they don't sign any you know big name players as it were. So I can't imagine them being you know absolutely bankrupt. So they should have some money put aside. So if they do want to you know keep make themselves bigger for 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 a long term future, similar to similar to the way Wolves had because they were building their stadium I think when they were in League One in the Championship. So I don't think a relegation should necessarily put them off if that's the case. I mean I, that's the first time I've ever I've heard it. You since you mentioned it, that's the first time I heard they've they've uh, shelved any plans. So so that's news to me. But hopefully that's not the case because I you know, I quite like Bournemouth. They're plucky underdogs, as it were. And it would be good to see them back in the Premier League again, and hopefully with a bigger stand. Therefore, we can get a bigger away allocation for games. The Matthew Baldwin stand is going to get built. There you go. <laughs> right, let's go to the race for the top three or four. Fourth, should we say? And my prediction came home to roost that Leicester will finish behind Chelsea. Although to be said. I didn't think they finished fifth. Cole, when you look at that, that's quite the capitulation, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm actually really surprised, Dan, because, you know, and I don't want to try and sort of like, you know, have a moan here, but c- could you imagine if Spurs oh, had kind yeah, of had that capitulation? The media, the media sort of agenda would have been bottlers, you know, massive collapse, you know, calamity. And it kind of just seems to have slipped away, doesn't it, where no one's really making massive noises about the slide and the slip that Leicester kind of have allowed themselves to get into and eventually miss out on that Champions League place because they were they were certs at one point weren't they you know just before you know football was restarting and that they were up there second you know well ahead of any other chasing pack and the fact that they've come back been really hit and miss and quite poor on their return to, from restart and then sort of now finally slipped out of that top four. I think that's really disappointing end to the season, and one that you know I think as a club they'll probably be sitting there, and you know you'd want to have a big fallout as to well how have we blown such a massive opportunity for the club and let it slip from where we were. Yeah, because Brendan was obviously putting a brave face and saying that European qualification is great, which as we said last week it is great, but when you're expectations are changed dramatically throughout the course of the season. And as you say, Cole, they weren't just sort of third or fourth all season. They were second at a point, so people shouldn't forget that. And then to finish where they have, that is, well, let's be honest, a shitting of the bed, shall we say, in quite blunt terms. But yeah, there's, there can be no excuses. And I think, like you say, Cole, there's going to be a lot of soul-searching. Obviously, Rogers will stay in the job. There's no danger of that. But to have that much in the hands and thinking, yeah, you're almost dreaming of where you're going on the Champions League tour next season. And for you to be done playing Thursday night football is going to smart a little bit. But Matthew, of course, it's not just them collapsing. There is a team that needs to be doing their bit for it to turn around. And that team, of course, is Manchester United. So from New Year's Eve, they picked up 15 more points between then and the end of the season than Leicester. So when you consider around that time of the season, there's a lot of talk about Ollie's head being on the chopping block, that he hasn't quite got to grips with a job so big. But you can't argue with the turnaround job he's done since the turn of the year. No, it's been fantastic. You know, I'm, I was very much in the Ollie out camp as it were, even though me as a Fulham fan, my view doesn't matter on the subject as as much as someone 
as so much as someone like Mark Goldbridge, if he if he were to say um, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer out, I'm sure his his words would carry more weight than than mine would. Um, but but yeah, all credit to Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. I think I've said this in regards to a couple of teams. I think there may just have been a little bit of realization at some point during the season of, hang on, we're you know we're Man United, we're the biggest club in world football or whatever it is. The biggest club in England, definitely. They say, we can't be doing with another season, you know, either out of Europe or in the Europa League. We need to be in the Champions League. Guys like Paul Pogba probably would have wanted it for his image. Say, guys like Bruno Fernandes, who's probably used to being in the top top thing with his day with his days in Portugal. Um Anthony Marsh, Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford, all those players were already thinking we need to be on the biggest stage, and it just clicked for them, and they just went went on this fantastic, fantastic run. You know, it may just be a case of you know David de Gea, maybe he's comfortable at Man United, and he realised the only way I'm going to stay is if we manage to get into the Champions League. So I need to put, I need to start putting some decent performances. Obviously, that didn't come out because he yeah, had that nightmare against Spurs. But you get you get the picture. I think it may have just been a motivational thing more than anything, sort of tactically, as it were. So, Carl, with a top four finish in the bag, Champions League football next season, can they offer anything in terms of a title challenge next season? Or do you feel there's still sort of 12 more months further down the line for that to happen? Yeah, that's a real interesting one. Because I, I think now United are in this um, situation where... Attack-wise, I think, you know, they're, they're going to be one of the most dangerous sides in the league. You know, they've got some great forward players there. You know, Greenwood has come on the scene brilliantly. You've got Rashford, Martial, Fernandez, Pogba. So, I think attacking-wise, I don't think United have got any problems whatsoever. I still think they possibly need to add maybe a central midfielder in there because Pogba is so hit and miss. Um, and obviously there might be injuries, you know, Fernandez might have a little dip at some point. And I think the real worry for them is now defensively. I think if you're looking to try and suddenly put a title challenge together next season, I think United now might be looking at one, De Gea, you know, and can he get back to the sort of form he was showing or do they need to replace him? Um, you know, Maguire's OK, but I think he needs to have a quality, maybe pacey centre-half next to him. And then the two full-backs. I, I still think United's problems are defensively, but if they suddenly went and solved that problem next season and brought themselves a centre-half, maybe a, a full-back, then you sit there and think, well, you couldn't rule them out from being up there next season and being with him, in with a shout. But I possibly think next season might be too soon. So, Matthew, Sunday, another United fixture, another penalty. How much should we be reading into this? Or is it more of a case that they are getting themselves into the positions which then could be given penalties for? Well, yeah, because someone, someone made the point, you know, it's uh, they have the record for most penalties awarded in a season or whatever it is. You know, some of them have been penalties. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. And I think the one against Leicester was another... There's, there was no real argument about it. It was a penalty. So I think it is more the latter point of yeah, they're getting into the box to get themselves in a position where they're you know, where they're being fouled or you know whipping balls in for to hit defender's hand or whatever it is. So I think it's, it's got to be credit on that side rather than any sort of you know, conspiracy for any reason, especially in the world of VAR where we're, where we're going to check these things. So yeah, I don't, I don't want to buy into this any that it's a conspiracy. I think it's more of a kudos to them. You know, Man City probably don't get any penalties because whenever they get in the box, the ball always ends up in the back of the net. So they don't get any because they can finish the job. Whereas Man United might be a hit and miss on that front. Oh, good theory. I like that. I like that a lot. But Carl, Chelsea, they made relatively light work of 
Wolves on Sunday, banking their top four place also. A perfect springboard for the FA Cup final on Saturday. I know you're washing your hair, but the question is, will Kepper be washing his also? Will he be trusted with the gloves? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? I, I kind of, you know, you kind of sit there and think, you know, he's again another goalkeeper that I think if you look to where Chelsea are going to, or maybe will want to look to improve next season, could be the goalkeeper because again, he's had a very suspect end to the season. And I know, you know, speaking to some Chelsea fans, they're not, they're not big fans of him down there. You know, he's, he's not a fan favourite. Um, I think he probably will get the gloves. I think he'll be in goal. Um, I think obviously that, Champions League place, you know, will send them into the final in, in good spirits. And, and I can probably see them actually getting the win over the line at the weekend and just being maybe too strong for, for Arsenal. Um, but you'd have to say overall a, a good se- good first season for Frank. You know, they've got some good young talent down there. And I tell you now, when you look at the business they're doing in the transfer market, market right now, you certainly couldn't rule them out next season either. Well, this is it, Matthew. Can they bridge the gap to the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City? They've got Werner, Ziyech, maybe even Kai Havertz. If they get that over the line, then dear God, I think we're all in trouble. But can they be a bona fide contender next season? I th- I think any club that wants to contend, is it's all going to have to come on the fact that someone else is going to have to drop down. Because we've seen Liverpool, you know, 99 points... No, was it 98 points they got last season? And then 99 points they've got this season. They're going to have to come down if anyone's going to contend. I don't think it's going to be because Chelsea are not going to make up, you know, a 30 point or whatever, whatever the gap is to Liverpool just on their own. I think they can maybe get 15 points uh, with, with these new additions. And then it's up to Liverpool to drop a 15 points. So, and I think that's going to, I think that's going to be harder. And again, Man City, I can't see them, you know, taking another Foot off the gas, well, not foot off the gas, but being being as um, inconsistent as they were this season. So it would take a big ask. I think they can st- take a step forward, but not a big enough to contend just on their own. Yeah, I think their defence is probably the one thing which is lacking them making that big jump to Liverpool, Man City. I think they'll be comfortably third, but you can imagine them by Christmas just starting to fade away. And I think errors might crop up here and there. But I think, you know, exciting times for the Blues at Stamford Bridge. And I guess it puts more pressure on the likes of Spurs, Arsenal, Manchester United to do their bit. So, you know, the top four, top six race is only going to intensify and it will only further intensify because of Wolves, Cole. Their Champions League charge run out of gas at the very end. But again, a great season. They've still got the Europa League backdoor to find their way through if they need it. For them to find an extra edge and really be a top four team themselves, what do they need next season? Yeah, they, they've had another good season, haven't they? And like as you say, if they could now maybe go and top that off by winning the Europa League, then that really would kind of be the ultimate, you know, season and team that have come up and had an impact. I guess as well, that could be the real important thing for them to be able to maybe take it to the next stage. Because if they can then go and get Champions League football, then I think, again, as we all know, you're talking a different type of player that you can attract um, and suddenly you become a different animal in terms of what you can offer players and who's attracted to the club. So I think if Wolves now want to look to progress to maybe the next level of getting within that top four, 
I think, you know, winning that Europa League would be the one thing that I think could really help them and mean that next season they can attract some, you know, better players than they already can. But again, for them, it's just going to be down to wise investment in the summer. You know, look at those areas where they maybe feel they might just want to improve, you know, maybe a centre-half. You know, they might need to bring a new central midfielder in because Moutinho is now starting to, to get on in age. So he won't be as effective next season. Season. Um, and, you know, they, they've got a decent striker. So I don't think there's any worries there. Some good attackers. But again, you can always bring in players who push those. So I, I think midfield might be the area that they would probably want to bolster the most. Um, but I tell you, if they win that Europa League, then I think, you know, you could really see them being a, a difficult animal next season. Well, this is it, Matthew, because they and Manchester United are still in the competition. How big of a chance have either got? Can you see either of them lifting the trophy? I th- I think both sides have got a real interest, real good chance of lifting it. I'd, I'd still put Inter Milan just as favourites, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I think I think at the start of the season, I said the Wolves had the chance to go far because I think they're they're a side that are sort of built for European football and, and nights like and nights like Thursday nights. So I, I could very well see them going far. And one thing I will say, if they do manage to take a step up as they were and get into the Champions League and attract a more high class caliber players, hopefully they can get a new goalkeeper so Rui Patricio can get that number eleven off his back. <laughs> that has really been bugging me. But I mean, I, I understand. I, I understand it was like because one of their goalkeepers i forget was it carly Kami? yes that's right um yeah um um his he had some terrible terrible situation and it was they retired the number one to sort of honor him and i get i mean he could have worn number 12 but for one year i kind of get he's stuck with number 11 can we get that changed it just it infuriates me so much that there's this great side, you know, this great underdog side, you know, moving up the table, doing well in Europe. And their number and their goalkeeper's got number eleven on their back. It's depressing as hell. Can we just get this, that? This is an this is an in the bin episode. Yeah, it could, yeah, it could be. It's very <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I did mention Ro Patricio when I did the in the bin um the players all in the wrong the squad numbers but you get you get yes, that's my own, that's my only problem with wolves this season <laughs> has been the fact that Rick Patricia was wearing number 11 other than that great side i hope they do well you know hope i, I don't hope that they go one step further than fulham because i always have that little uh, a little chink in the back of my head that when it comes to smaller clubs going you know finishing seventh and then going far in the europa league i always try and compare them to us and us reaching the final has been, you know, the high, the highest standard so far. So I kind of don't want them to, you know, go one step further than that because I want that to be our little honour. But you know, good luck to them. Just get the number eleven away. So, Carl, obviously Europa League, Tottenham. We're going to be regular bedfellows next season. I guess after everything that's happened, that'll do, really, won't it? Yeah, as we say, it, it's not the ideal competition we want to be in, and, and this is not showing any disrespect to the, oh, no, you know, no. you know, the Europa League. But to be honest, we've built ourselves to be a Champions League club, and you know everything that we've been sold the dream on the facilities and everything is to make sure that we stay a Champions League side. Um, we've fallen away from there, disappointingly. Uh, and quite rightly, I think you know we are disappointed to be in the Europa League um, because we had higher um, expectations and, and higher goals. But we're in it, um, as you say. It, you know, it's better probably to be in that than not in there. You get you still get yourself across the you know the global map, and you know you're still seen as a European club and and one of the elite. Um, now we have to do is make sure that we go into it, use it properly. 
And, you know, hopefully we've got the right manager who's got past experience of winning it, knows what it takes, and he can do what he has done before and bring that home. Because now we are in it, then, yes, we, we, we want to go and win it and, and we should rightfully be one of the favourites in that. I will say, I will to say on one thing, are you not, should you not be happier to be in the Europa League because it gives you a chance of silverware? Like, I know I've seen Arsenal fans... Um, mainly DT say, you know, if Arsenal were to qualify for the Champions League, he wouldn't want to see his side go up against, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid and all that lot because they get torn to pieces. Is there not that kind of element for, for Spurs fans to think that this squad is not built to go on another fantastic run like he did last year? But the Europa League, you've got to think to yourself, you've got an outside chance of winning this, whereas Europe, whereas the Champions League, not really in a million years. Uh, I'll take it first and then I'll hand it over to Cole. For me, I think the fact that an opportunity of silverware has opened up, I think is good. I think the fact that we're in the Europa League, we've arguably got the man you want to be at the helm to lead you to potential silverware. And I don't even really think it's an outside chance. If we're in that hat, then I think we've got a very strong chance of winning it. I just think, couple that with Cole's point, which is very true, that Tottenham are in the mindset of we are a big four club, rightly or wrongly, I think we are closer to you know the upper echelons of the Premier League. So there is that slight deflation, but I guess with everything that's happened across the course of the season and it all balances out, you think, OK, maybe this is the opportunity to win silverware. Maybe it might be our own backdoor entry to the Champions League next season, sorry, the season after that. We might need it because the uh, progression in the league is not as quick as we like, so there's also that route. So I think... Yes, it's disappointing, but if you can turn it into a real positive, and I mean not just being in Europe, but actually winning it, those means will be slightly more justified than they are now. Carl, what's your take? Yeah, I, I would agree with it. I think the one thing that where I think some supporters are sitting there saying they would rather be out of it is I think that having seen seasons where you've had Leicester win the Premier League and Chelsea win the Premier League by not being in the Europa League that season, which meant they didn't have that fixer congestion of Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, you know, going to some of the places that you have to go in those group stages um, and, and the effect that that can have on you as a side. I think there are certain people with the mindset that I'd fancy a year of seeing where if we didn't have that distraction and we did some good business in the summer, could we seriously have a punt, a title? But I, the more I look at it right now, I sit there and think when I look at the side we've got and the quality that's in there and the sides we'll be coming up against, you have to sit there and think there's no chance we're going to be in with a shout of winning that title next season. And that's just my honest view. You know, unless suddenly Levy decides that he's going to stick himself in a mental asylum and open the checkbook for silly money, which we know is not going to happen. So I think that was the one thing that people were saying, I probably wouldn't want to be in the Europa League because let's see what we could do without that distraction. But, you know, given the way it looks, possibly, as we say, being in there could possibly be our best avenue to a tournament and straight back into Champions League football the following season. Matthew, there were some form of celebrations at Selhurst Park, not because Palace got a point for the first time in eight matches, but because Spurs were in the top six of the table. What did you make of Mourinho and the gang celebrating on the touchline? Well, I, th- I was going to say, you know, well done. They they achieved something. But now, having listened to you, your, you, know, you two and your fabulous points, I'm trying to think, was it really necessary? Because, you know, as you've said, you are a top, you know, your ambitions to be a top four club and you managed to scrape sixth. So was that really something to say? I, I don't know. It's, he, he achieved something. Yeah. I don't know. Where, where were Spurs when he took over? He, they can't have been in the Europa League place. There must have been something like 10th or 11th, surely. 14th. Someone, 
14. Yeah. There you go. So he had, so from where he yeah, so from where you were to where you finished, he's achieved something. But so I was initially happy, but having listened to your time, I'm thinking, yeah, maybe he could have just, you know, just a, a bunch of handshakes around the around the ground rather than, you know, a full on celebration. But yeah, all all played to, I mean, all fair all fair credit to him. He's done a fantastic job and, you know, for your sake more than anything else, I hope that um he continues that next season. Yeah, I, I think it was a deserved celebration and all things taken into account. Because I think, yes, it's not the objective he wanted, but it is still an objective. And I think after this, like I said, there's so much mitigating circumstances behind it that I think you can give him a pass for that. If it was like flicking the Vs and, you know, doing what else, you think, hang on, no, what, what's going on here? But I think, you know, it was, it was fine enough. And I think as a collective and the staff working together, they've ticked that off and they'll just look to put that season behind them and move on and hopefully for bigger and better things next time around. So, with about five minutes to go, we still need to go to Championship Corner. So, what other topics can we do? Jordan Henderson. Yes, he won an award. Carl, was it the right decision, though? Should it have been the likes of Kevin De Bruyne? Yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I think Henderson has had a really good season. Um, and that's just for with, with his club and the impact that he may have had there. I, I, to be honest, think it's a bit of a stretch to say that he's been the best player in the during the Premier League season, because yeah, when you look at the kind of things that other players like De Bruyne and that are doing week in week out, then for me, I I, I would personally put that guy above Henderson. But I'm sure you know with inside the Liverpool camp, I, you probably can't you know eh, you know underestimate or estimate how much of an impact that guy has. He's probably been a key point of driving them on and being a great captain. But yeah, in terms of the whole Premier League season, for me, he he wouldn't have got my vote on that award. So Matthew, is that more of a case of not being the best player on the pitch week in week out, but the best person carrying out a particular role? I think I think there's the argument for that. You know, you know, back to the main point. I've I've always been of the view that the player of the year should be the best player or the most important player on the team that wins the league, unless there is a you know outstanding you know job being done elsewhere. Um, that I think it should be that. Like I was okay in the idea with Scott Parker winning the award back in 2011. I think it was. I I could I could understand the argument for that if he if he had kept them up. So there is there is something to that. In regards to John Henderson, no, I don't think he should have won it. I it was Kevin De Bruyne. I think far and away just the best player. There are some times where you have to say his the work that he's done again just was far and away better than what anyone else managed to do this season so yeah I think I think Kevin De Bruyne can feel rightly robbed on on this occasion right very quickly to Selhurst Park Carl Roy Hodgson one point out of 24 do they now push the ejector seat and get Sean Dyche in in the summer I as we discussed I think last week you know if, if if I was running the club I would be now looking to make a change and possibly going in a fresher younger um direction um but Roy has done well. Um, you know, they were kind of safe all the way from the restart. So there was never any fear of them getting dragged too far into that relegation zone. I guess it just now depends on how adventurous the Palace board want to be and where they see themselves going in the next, say, five or two or three years, maybe even five. But I think, you know, um, you know the great manager that he's kind of been, or as well say great manager, steady manager that he's been, I think time has come where if it was me, I'd be looking for a, maybe a younger, fresher ideas and looking more forward for the future. Right, it's time to go to Championship Corner. Matthew, where did we leave it last week? There was some shirt burning 
that was actually put on the table. Unfortunately, we didn't get that over the line. I think I did my bit, but Carl's West Brom chirping on didn't quite uh, get the job done, did it? More to the point, nor did you, because you only drew at Wigan. But there's more. There's a twist in the tail, isn't there? Because you won last night. Discuss. It's it's fantastic. Anyone who, you know, it's been marketed for years. The Premier League is the best league in the world. It's not. Go and watch the championship. My these this past you know Wednesday the, the past six days have just been fantastic football to watch. Um, we know we mentioned the shirt burning. As you said your lot because you um tipped Brentford, um and you you know you did your job correctly. And in fairness, that's really all I needed because I just needed. I couldn't stand the idea of Brentford getting promoted. So in a way, we've with the job was done. You know, credit to West Brom. I think they have. You know, you can make the argument they were the second best team in the league. They got their job done. In Good luck to them. And then there's the playoffs, which are a lottery in many ways, shape, or form. And that was, you know, demonstrated no better way than when Brentford went and lost to Swansea City on on Sunday night. Swansea have hit a great, you no know, hit form just at the right time towards the end of the season. Whereas Brentford, I think personally, are struggling a little bit with the pressure because I don't think many of them have ever been that high in the table. I think that the the club as a whole has never been that high in English football. So I think there was just a little bit of the pressure getting to them as it's shown in the last three games, three defeats for a team that you know had. Um, scored more goals than anyone in the division and had the joint best goal difference. So they're clearly feeling the straight. And then there's Fulham. What can you say? We've, in terms of hitting form at the right time, we're doing exactly the same as well. And it's from lesser known players. Like Niskin Scabano didn't get many games this season. And he's come up with three free kicks in the space of three games. It's fantastic. And they're all they're all in different ways. One went under the wall, one 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 went over the wall, and then another one went over the wall uh, into the other corner. It's just fantastic football to watch. And as it's standing, Brentford are not going to be in the playoff final. I hope I haven't jinxed it. But there is one thing we can do to jinx it. Dan. Um, Brentford play Swansea at Griffin Park on th- on Wednesday night, so tomorrow night as we record this. You know the drill. Please, take it away. As I've said the last couple of weeks, I still believe to this day that Brentford are the best football club in the world. Thank you. So if, th- if, this all t- if this all turns up, then I shall ceremonially burn an Arsenal shirt in your honour. Thank you very much, sir. No problem at all. So, Carl, on the topic of Brentford very quickly... We laugh about this, but um, they are, again, a team that is shitting the bed. They lost the last two league games of the season. They lost on Sunday in the playoffs. Has that d- disappointment of not being in the automatic places, has that deflation now caught up with them? Yeah, it can have a real negative effect, momentum like that, can't it? And suddenly you just can't get nothing going again um, towards it for the rest of the season. So it will be interesting to see if they can recover from that and kind of find some form again. But you do kind of fear when you hit a run towards the end of the season, I don't see them getting out of it and being able to recover. And Swansea just, you know, went into it with a real buzz and a real great performance. So I actually think Swansea might pip them in those semis. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think a Swansea-Fulham final is on the agenda. And that, the agenda, is done for the season. Take a deep breath, everyone, because we're done. The season that I thought would never end has finally come to a climax. So all I need to do is the admin. Matthew, thank you for sharing the load for the last three weeks. Absolute pleasure. I hope you'd like to join us next season, if you can. I was going to say, you say next season. That's next week, isn't it? Given given the turnaround time. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. No, we're going to have a break. I think we deserve that. But like I say, if you want to come back into the fold, the seat is ready for you to be filling it. 
you know I'd be glad to take it. Thank you very much. Top work. And Cole, I need to give a massive thanks to you, mate, because you've been my right-hand man all season. Thank you ever so much. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll be back for season three. No worries, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure, mate. I really enjoy this every Tuesday and chatting all things football with you guys and definitely up for coming back again for, for season three. Um, like Matthew said, starting in about a week or so. So, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm definitely on board, mate. Top man. Like I say, in all seriousness, I think we're going to take a few weeks off. I need a few weeks off. Just I've got podcast fatigue, so I need to sort of get fresh for September. So if we look to come back September, ready to go again, why not? Let's have another third season. So with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until, well, a few weeks' time, goodbye. Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.